to the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at developments in pharmacy over the past seven days or so. I'm laughing because for the first time we're recording it together and uh, the boys are putting me off. I'll be coming out on a Monday this week, so uh, what better way to start the week than with some lively pharmacy chat? That was a bit partridge-esque, wasn't it? So, uh, but anyway. <laughs> My name is Richard Thomas, I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me on the pod this week, uh, having all got through Super Saturday in One Piece, is Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. So yeah, Arthur, Neil and I are back in our Regent Street offices, uh, doing our best to social distance and not annoy anyone else. And Rob's in Basingstoke. Uh, London, I have to say, is still eerily quiet, although it was a bit busier on the weekend, boys, wasn't it? Just a bit, yeah, yeah. I won't, I won't, yeah. I won't tell anybody what I was up to, but uh, one or two pints, I think, yeah. I think, we, for that. Yeah, yeah. I think we could guess what Neil was up to. <laughs> um, anyway, this week's pod, we talked to Alex Norris, MP, who is Labour's Shadow Pharmacy Minister. We don't normally interview members of the opposition front bench this far out from a general election, but Keir Starmer is assembling an impressive health team under Jonathan Ashworth, and Mr Norris had some really interesting things to say about pharmacy, and we hear from him later. As usual, we have Good Week, Bad Week, and any other business, but let's start with a quick roundup of the news. After an uneasy truce, it's business as usual between the PDA and the GPHC, the PDA saying the regulator doesn't have adequate powers to regulate pharmacy owners, the GPHC as it does. This all comes in the wake of the Competition and Markets Authority and GPAC criticising a small minority of pharmacies suspected of charging uh, unjustifiably high prices for items such as hand sanitizer, face masks and paracetamol. In other news, the pandemic delivery service in England is to continue until at least the end of the month and there's been a further £20 million cash advance. Still no news on if or when it has to be paid back. And there's also been a £13 million funding boost for contractors in Northern Ireland. And we've had a very critical report about community pharmacy, surprisingly, from Scotland's Cross-Party Health and Sport Committee. So no doubt some or, or indeed none of these subjects will crop up in this week's pod. Uh, you don't think this is planned, do you? But let's crack on with good week, bad week. Neil, do you want to kick off? Uh, who's had a good week over the last seven days for you? Well, I, 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 there were quite a, quite a lot been going on in the last uh, six or seven days. And one, the thing that caught my eye was the uh, Pharmacy Schools Council, um, which represents uh, uh, schools of pharmacy across the, um, across the country. And, and um, you know, they're, they're very intent on improving uh, support for uh, BAME uh, pharmacists and, and students. Um, and, um, you know, they... They're, they're not restricted, you know, they're, they're trying to sort of create a, an environment where it's easier for uh, BAME students to, 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 you know, to integrate into the studies um, and, they've, um, and they've released a, a, a report on exactly what they're doing. Um, and it just got me, I know, I, know, I know there's been a lot about, um, you know, uh, ethnicity and diversity, particularly in the wake of the terrible events in America over the last few weeks, but um, this is something that's still very important and it's, you know, this is something that's got to be addressed and I think they're... They, they, they should be applauded and I think that some of the measures that they're, they're, they've, they've come up with uh, to address inequality 
they want a better represent, uh, BAME representation uh, on committees and policy groups and more targeted support for students. Um, and there's an, a, review of the, a review of their teaching practices and materials. So the curriculum uh, is more informed by the needs of uh, BAME communities. So I think these are really positive things, and I, you know, and I'm, one would only hope that you know they they these are words at the moment, you know, to be fair. But let's hope they follow through on some of these things. I think uh, um, one pledge that did catch my eye was the eradication of quote deliberate, intentional racist language or interactions, and active discouragement and prevention of unconscious bias. And we've heard that um, term quite quite a lot recently, unconscious bias and microaggressions to prevent students and colleagues feeling isolated and excluded. So all these things are can only be positive, let's hope that um, you know, the, the Pharmacy Schools Council sort of follow up on this. Mm. Yeah, serious issue being taken seriously yeah. there. Uh, thanks for that, Neil. Yeah, it's important because it's a diverse profession, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah incredibly important. Um, Arthur, who's had a good week for you? Uh, well, you mentioned there it's been a good week for pharmacists in Northern Ireland. Of course, they've had a long-running funding dispute with the Department of Health there, um, where they say they've been under, underfunded by, by millions. Uh, last week they got an announcement of 13 and a quarter million in funding up until the end of the financial year and that's to help them develop new services during the coronavirus pandemic um, which is which is crucial because I think they've often looked to elsewhere in the UK and seen uh, to whatever extent pharmacy's potential is recognised and there is some kind of willing and funding being put into new services whereas in Northern Ireland that hasn't been the case so much. Um, hopefully now they've got you know they've got a health minister they've got a functioning executive now that's going to pave the way for a better relationship because I mean if you if you think back to the start of the pandemic right before the pandemic they're there's they were on the brink of industrial action uh, quite um, so you know that was how kind of fractious things were so hopefully um, the relationship between kind of health minister Robin Swan and and the sector does seem to be you know an engaged and positive one hopefully that's going to be the case going forward yeah this the situation does seem a, a lot more positive in, in northern ireland doesn't it arthur as you say they've got a functioning executive now mm -hmm. and and relationships do seem um, better when they're talking to each other funding is going into the service so, so hopefully they can they can use this to to really move forward because pharmacy in northern Ireland has probably been in a bit of a stasis for for Mm. five or six years now so it would be good if they could really make some progress does it does it feel like for the first time in quite a few years that there's actually some direction now in Northern Ireland with, with, now that you said that they've now got an administration yeah was it was it 2017 the executive process? I can't even remember mm. but I, th I think definitely since then and probably b before that there were there were issues that mm. they just felt underinvested and that there wasn't um the potential wasn't recognised. Yeah, and as you say, Arthur, not that long ago, there was the, the threat of strike action in the air. Yeah. So um, a big improvement there, and let's let's we'll be keeping an eye on progress there, uh, and hopefully, Northern Pharmacy Northern Ireland can really get get going there. Um, uh, for me, well, it's been a good week for me uh, actually. Well, me and everyone else who <coughs> has a registration renewal date that falls between September the first and December the thirty first, because. The GPHC, bless them, has decided that this year uh, we are only required to submit a single reflective account. So no peer discussion or any CPD. And I had so many potential CPD entries this year. No, I really did. I really did because of COVID. But anyway, um, 
I think it's good news. Uh, it's another example of, I think, flexible, almost empathetic regulation from the GPHC. And one of several examples we've had from our, our regulator that we've highlighted during this COVID crisis. And let's be honest, a year off from revalidation is not going to have a, a material impact on patient safety. So even the PDA might agree um, that this week it's a good week uh, for pharmacists on the register and the GPHC. I'll just jump in there, Richard, with this lighter revalidation work. But what are you going to do with your uh, extra, extra time? Joy, <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard, you've been keeping those CPD entries as you've been going along, haven't you? Absolutely. Uh, regular as clockwork. Thank you, chaps. <laughs> Shall we move on? <laughs> yes. <laughs> In our interview slot this week, uh, we have Alex Norris, who is the Member of Parliament for Nottingham North since 2017, and now the Shadow Minister for Public Health and Patient Safety in Keir Starmer's first opposition front bench. So his brief covers pharmacy, and he had lots of interesting views on all manner of things, including COVID and contracting, funding and pharmacies failing financial model, and especially hub and spoke. And here's what he had to say. Alex, thanks for joining us on the pod and congratulations on your appointment as a Shadow Health Minister in Keir Starmer's first opposition front bench. For those of our listeners outside Nottingham North who may not know you so well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your political career to date. Oh, great. Well, yeah, as as, as you mentioned, I'm a member of Parliament in Nottingham. I'm actually originally from Manchester myself, a big Manchester City fan, uh, which at this time time of the year we normally wouldn't be talking about, but because of what's going on, we still are. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I I represent uh, my part of Nottingham, where I've lived for for the last nearly 20 years. Uh, One of the the more challenged communities in the country, so there's an awful lot to do. Uh, Prior to my election in 2017, uh, I was on my council for six years, and I led for health and social care for the for for the pro, for, for most of that. Um, previously worked for Unison, the trade union, again in the health sector. So I've been in and around uh, the health and social care sector for for a long time now. I'm very passionate about it. Uh, I was thrilled that that Keir uh, gave me the chance to be on a health team at a time like this. Uh, I took that as a quite a big compliment, to be fair, because he only wanted. The, the, I think people who really were going to get the job done well at a time like this because we, we, we need to. Um, I was previously in the whips before that and I wasn't sorry to stop being a whip because it's, uh, it's not, not really the fun side of politics, frankly. So, so that's me, really. I, you know, I, I'm covering public health, I'm covering primary care and covering prevention. Uh, I come with a lot of views on public health because I've spent a lot of my life working on public health. Uh, less so, frankly, on primary care. So I'm working my way around the sector, whether that's pharmacy, whether that's dentistry, general practice, ophthalmology, trying to draw on the views of experts and and uh, and trying to get to a position where we're articulating what they need from the opposition, really. So what's your vision for community pharmacy then, from what you've learnt so far in the role? Well, I think if we're handing out, you know, we've been in this incredible situation for months and months and months now that None of us could have even foreseen, you know, Christmas. We would just wouldn't have believed it. Uh, but if we we're handing out sort of person of the match awards, we'd we'd be starting with pharmacy because actually we talk about a world where nothing's been the same. But pharmacy, more probably more than anywhere else, actually has continued. That model has continued. That it's the one place left where people still can just go to it and to try and access the the, the care and the support they need. Um, so. That you know that uh, that needs to be recognised, and you know we need it's it's a, a real a show of just how much people value pharmacy, 
So what happens now in the next phases of COVID, but going on into the future, has to recognise that pharmacy is an absolute anchor in our communities. Uh, and we, 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 we change that or we mess around with that or we don't support that at our absolute peril. So how do you think that, that pharmacy has coped with the, the COVID crisis? I mean, you've given a pretty good uh, idea there, but uh, how impressed it's, have you been with the, the sector's resilience, if, if anything else? It's incredible. You think of those, you know, more than a million interactions a day. Because we all know, you know, we obviously your your uh, your readers and you know this better than I do. But I've, I've visited through my three years as MP and my time on the council. You go to pharmacy because it's such an important community hub, and they are exclusively, you know, you might have a bit of a frontage area that's got a bit of bit more room, and you know, attractive spacing. But in the back around the cabinets, there's never any room for two meter social distancing in the back of a pharmacy, or certainly not certainly not in community pharmacy. So. Um, the fact that you know pharmacy and pharmacists have been able to be so resilient and so adaptable to keep the doors open to keep those vital services going, I just think it's incredible. Um, and you know, it, and then finding new ways to innovate so that those people who couldn't come and were shielding would still get the access to to what they needed as well. You know, I think it's been one of the really really big success stories. And, and at a time when we certainly have to not fall into this trap as an opposition, it's easy to find the things that haven't gone well. And we can't lose in that the things that have gone spectacularly well and, and to recognise that. And, um, and yeah, I think, I think pharmacy is one of those things. Yeah, I'm sure pharmacists would, would, would appreciate those sentiments, Alex, that they really have risen to the occasion um, under you know, extreme pressure, actually. Do you think that more should have been made of pharmacy, though? I mean, thinking of perhaps track and trace or getting them involved in, in, in antibody testing? Is the kind of government wasting the opportunity to, to utilise the sector to a greater extent in relation to COVID? Yeah, I, I do think so. I think, and you know, I, without wanting to get their defence in for them, when you're doing things that are for the first time and, and you know, at, at, at speed, then there is a temptation to go big and national. And this government, certainly we know, and, you know, this is ultimately this is the way they believe things are, are best done. And I would contest this, but, you know, they think big national private companies, you, you send for Serco, if in doubt, send for Serco. And I think it's answering the question entirely the wrong way around. That actually, if you're trying to sort, if, if you're trying to tackle something like this, and you know, an, an unseen enemy that exists throughout all our communities, you start at your community level, you build on what you already have. So certainly around test and trace, you know, you build around local authority, public health. That seems an obvious place to start. They're already doing that. I think there's, I think there's just a lack of understanding at uh, certainly a ministerial level. But in Nottingham, if there's a Legionella outbreak, we're already managing those things. If there's gonorrhea outbreak, we're already managing those things. And this is on a bigger scale, but it's the same principles. And I think the same thing applies to pharmacy as well. So if if you're trying to reach people, well, you go to you go to the places where people go, and pharmacy is one, you know, one of the absolute top places like that. If you want to make mass contact with the population, well, where makes more contact with the population than pharmacy does? So it is, as you say, if it is antibody testing, if it's brief interventions, if it's challenging and encouraging around masks, whatever you want it to be, who are those people that have trusted conversations on a day-to-day basis? Well, it's pharmacists, uh, pharmacists and their staff. So, you know, I, I would be building up from that, that way myself. But frankly, it's not too late to do that. Um, this is We're going to live with this for multiple years. Certainly, any side of... Any, this side of any vaccination, we're going to live with this in some way. Now, I'd hope it wouldn't be like it is, you know, at the moment it has been in previous months. But 
So we, we need to use those those places, those trusted places and those places that people come into contact every day. And, and obviously pharmacy is just such an obvious one there. Yes, and that's a very good point. You mentioned vaccination, and if we, we do eventually have a vaccine for this, then it would be good to think that, that pharmacy uh, could get involved in that because you're going to need mass coverage pretty quickly, and, and pharmacy very successfully runs flu vaccination services, for instance. So, Well, absolutely. You know, where's trusted, where's experienced, and where, where do people come into what feel comfortable coming to contact on a daily basis with pharmacy. So absolutely should be, a, you know, an absolute core part of, 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 of what will be obviously a very, a desire for a very rapid rollout mm. of, of vaccination. So if Labour came into power at the next election, and, and I know we're, we're looking at, you know, four years hence, um, but let, let's imagine that the Labour are in power and, and you're the pharmacy minister, what would be your immediate priorities for the sector? I mean, would you seek to reverse the pharmacy funding cuts, for example? Yeah, I mean, we are four years away um, from, from an election. I am still getting my feet under the desk, so I couldn't make that commitment today. However, what I do know is from having conversations, you know, whether it's with industry bodies or with individual uh, pharmacy, pharmacists, community pharmacy in my, in my own community, that the funding model doesn't work has been chipped away at you know i know that people find are very upset I, I share this this sort of upset at this idea the government talk about money that they've, they've they've put into pharmacy to deal with this crisis which is actually only an advance on on monies that would be coming anyway i think that's a little insulting frankly um so the contracting model I, you know has been whittled away at and the, the thing that i'm most concerned about and certainly in the in the current context but in any crisis at all this would be the case was how how much there's a sense that they feel that, that community pharmacy, especially, but pharmacy in general, is cross-subsidised by other aspects of the business in order to make the script and the dispensing stand up. Well, that doesn't work. You know, at the end of the day, that that is a testament to the um, to the ingenuity, ingenuity, the creativity, and the sheer desire to keep going from um, from leaders in in the industry. Um, but that's not a model that works. And you know, a sort of a healthcare model that's built on sand. You know, we see the same in dentistry. Um, healthcare model that's built on the, in the sand that way will not weather challenging times like this. So we've got to have a proper. We've got to, you know, I, I, you know, I've talked to to the minister. I shadow. They need to get back around the table and have a proper look at the contracting. Um, and that certainly would be something I'd be very keen to do. Certainly with both pharmacy and dentistry on on day one, if I was given the chance to do it. Yes, and of course, uh, PSNC are, are are pushing hard to have that that advance, uh, as you call it, um, kind of rescinded, really, or, or wiped off, and actually to cover the costs, the increased costs of um, dealing with the COVID crisis for pharmacy. So we we we'll see how successful they they are. Um, no news yet, though, from the Treasury. No. Um, and how concerned are you, though? And you've you've talked about this before. You've warned that you know we're heading perhaps towards an Amazon style pharmacy service with hub and spoke and things like this, putting vital community pharmacies at risk really. So how concerned are you about that? And and what would you do to protect traditional bricks and mortar community pharmacies? Yeah, I am very concerned. I was talking to a colleague the other day about it, um, as I often do in and they said to me, you're in danger of starting to get a bit boring about this, Alex. <laughs> but I make no apologies for this because this is really, really fundamental. Uh, we've just been doing the common stages of a pretty small Brexit-related bill called the Medicines and Medical Devices Bill. 
And that's just about essentially taking European regulations and transplanting them into British law and then giving the Secretary of State the power to update them. So, so far, so sensible. Um, but within that, nowhere on the face of the bill, you know, nowhere on the legislation that we were con- that was in front of, of, of Parliament, um, but on the impact assessment, the government, you know, the government write an impact assessment for each bit of legislation, say what they think will happen as a result. Why, why do we need to do this law and what will happen? And buried in there was, well, this will then, this gives the sector state the powers to move to a hub and spoke model. Now, there are arguments on both sides of this. I've talked to my PSNC, I've talked to PSNC nationally, I've talked to, uh, I've talked to uh, those who wish to be deliverers, I've spoken to community pharmacy, I've spoken to lots and lots of people about this. And it is, you know, it's clearly a contested space. Uh, but the idea that you slip it through buried in a very obscure bit of paperwork around legislation, I just think it's fundamentally wrong. So I've been try- taking every opportunity to try and raise that. Uh, the government have got a majority of parliament, so they're going to get that legislation. And, you know, the minister's effusive and what a great thing this is to do. And, and her, her take and, and Matt Hancock's take is that this is um, a levelling of the playing field. And actually, there's a lot of merit in that argument. You know, the idea that um, I would always mention Boots because I'm from Nottingham, but, you know, Boots have, boots can do this and have done this for a long time and that's how they're set up. So wouldn't it be nice if we could make sure community pharmacy can compete on an equal footing? And again, actually, I've got a lot of sympathy with that argument. However, I also know that when I talk to community pharmacy and their representatives, that's not quite how they think this will work. And I know that when, when you talk about pairing with a delivery partner, which again, is a good thing and and that idea that you know the community pharmacy is excluded from doing that on on, on technical regulations you know that, i think that that does merit revisiting but actually we do know that those who wish to deliver actually wish to dispense as well as deliver and that is a very very fundamental change and that completely changes what our pharmacy and community pharmacy on my road is going to be doing and then you start to you're not very long far away from actually you're talking about pharmacy that won't have any that won't have basically anything other than over-the-counter stuff, in 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 uh, on the site, and that is a big change. And I would not want to do that without really fully knowing the ramifications of that, because I know, and it's it's the sort of that that I forget the phrase, but but the, that reverse irony of, of of living in a poor community, as as me and my neighbours do, that the best shops on our high streets are our pharmacies. You know that we're very very well served. Um, and I wouldn't want to mess with that unless I really knew what that would mean. Um, so, you know, my, my commitment in that, we've got a little bit of time. The government clearly are minded to do this. Um, so I'm, I'm seeking to engage as far and wide with people across all the aspects of the argument to try and get to a place where, where I can advocate, you know, a way forwards that, that is, is, is a sensible one. The sort of, the, the, the thing I know, you know, because it's something in opposition, opposition's lonely and hard because you lose all the time. Um, but, the one thing I know on this issue is, and they don't know yet, and I said, I said this at every stage of the bill, my colleagues do not know what is coming down the mountain of them here. But the one thing I know for certain is it is coming. Every one of us, it's very rare you can say this, every one of us will get emails, lobbying, um, you know, contact from people we trust and value in our community on this issue. This isn't one of those issues there will be two or three people taking interest in. Lots of people will, and lots of people that we know are anchors in our community. So they're not yet ready to get excited about this, and they might start to think I'm a bit boring about this, but they will. That's one thing I know for sure. Hubbin Spoke has been a, a live issue in the, in the sector for, for many years now. As you say, there are arguments for and against. 
But uh, one thing's for sure, um, farmers will be looking very closely at how this, this legislation proceeds. Absolutely. And just to finish up, Alex, um, when was the last time you, you went into a pharmacy? Uh, so, let me think. Um, I've been in, it wouldn't have been last week, it would have been the week before I went to my local one to pick some over-the-counter meds. I'll, I'll be honest, I wanted to have a little look. I, like you do in all aspects of life, certainly once um, with re- the stuff that's opening up next week, I want to see what people are doing, what 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 things are in place, and as usual, you know, pharmacy my community is doing an excellent job. That's good to hear, and it's good to see you you out and about and into pharmacies. I think uh, that's something we're very keen to promote, and pharmacy is very keen to promote, just to have MPs and and, and health spokespersons and shadows etc. Just going in and see what it's like at the front line, um, and seeing the fantastic work that pharmacy is doing. So that's my, great. My local, my local. Sorry, just to, just yeah, to yeah. Go on. My, lo- my local, my local LPC is great at that. Always has been. Um, and you know, I would encourage others to keep doing that because if you ask MPs to go, they will go. It might not be on a short timeline, but in fact, you know, and again, for anybody, any you know, listening there, if 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 you invite an MP to come to to your shop or whatever, uh, they will come on on a long enough timeline. They will. I mean, that might be slightly different if you if your MPs the Prime Minister or the Foreign Secretary, but in general. Uh, they will and they'll be really glad to be asked and they'll be really interested to come they'll want to hear about you know whether it's automation and and the the sort of machinery you're using if not if if that's the direction you're going they'll want to know about brief advice they'll want to know about uh, flu they'll want to know about smoking cessation services they'll be genuinely interested because these things are so important to us so please do do invite them because it's then great for us in parliament because we're having much more informed conversations that's good advice there, Alex. And I suppose to, to be absolutely fair, we, we have seen uh, Sir Simon Stevens and Matt Hancock in pharmacies recently. But I, I, I think absolutely. that's uh, a fair reflection, really, of, of perhaps pharmacy rising up the agenda a little bit in recognition of the, the great work that they've done during COVID. So thanks, Alex, very much for joining us on the pod. It's been great thanks to talk to you uh, and to hear your views. And uh, we shall follow you closely um, in the next four years. And we'll see where we are in four years' time. Alex Norris, thank, thank you very you. much. Cheers. So that was Alex Norris there, uh, full of praise for pharmacies, resilience and adaptability. Uh, The big success story of COVID, you mess around with the network at your peril, were two of the comments he made. And I thought his comments on Hub and Spoke were particularly interesting, actually. The legislation almost being sneaked through Parliament at the moment, buried in in an impact assessment. And he certainly gets the complexities of the argument. How do you ensure a level playing field? potential conflicts of interest, how do you manage those? Where's the financial model? And he actually said it will be a postbag issue for MPs. So we'd certainly be keeping an eye on that. And he seemed very on top of his brief, actually, in a way that some pharmacy ministers of recent vintage um, never were. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye on Alex Norris, and who knows, it's a long way away, but maybe in four years' time, when we can get him back on the pod as the new pharmacy minister, we'll, we'll see if he backs up his warm words with actions. Um, what did what did you think about what he had to say? Rob, did you any initial thoughts? Well, it's nice to hear somebody who appears to know what they're talking about. Uh, I mean, the chances of him ending up as pharmacy minister, I guess, this far out from election are quite slim. Uh, but it's good to hear somebody who clearly has thought a little bit about the subject at hand, understands where the pinch points are. Um, and, you know, I mean, one thing that kind of struck me when I was listening to him talking was um, this idea that 
we do some things out of expediency because it seems like the easiest thing to do. And just because the pharmacy network is quite a nebulous thing and it's it's in every community, which is one of its strengths, but it's also quite a difficult thing to deal with. So you you possibly almost I think there's a sense from what you were saying that that's in it's in the too difficult box if we can go to Circo or G4S or one of the tried and t tested uh, companies, tried and tested, tried in some cases, because some of them have been in court for their failures in delivering things for the NHS. But it, it's nice to see somebody prepared to sort of at least think that there are things that could be done that we oughtn't just to dismiss because it's actually too complicated or the contracting model doesn't quite work or, you know, we've we've had a difficult time with this lot for a while. Yeah, I think, like you say, it's sort of impressive to hear somebody who's taking a deep dive into the into what, what are quite technical subjects. I mean, what, what you tend to get from pharmacy ministers, um, I probably include Joe Churchill in this, is quite sort of top-level soundbites. Pharmacies are pillar of, pillars of the community, etc., etc. So someone who's actually taking the time to understand those, cru yeah, those crunch points, it is quite impressive. I think we... I think one would have to be a bit wary, though, wouldn't they? I mean, whenever a, a shadow uh, a minister makes uh, provides us with lots of platitudes about something, and, and well, you heard John Jonathan Ashworth, Ashworth uh, a few years ago saying he stood up in the House of Commons and he said um, uh, in one of the committee rooms, uh, my apologies, and he said um, you know during one of the APPG events, I think it was, he said, uh, look, if we get into power, we'll reverse the cuts. And and it's all, it sounds lovely, you know. I think we have to be a little bit cautious of, um, you know, taking uh, what 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 politicians say, particularly when they're not in power, uh, at face value. So uh, let's yes, uh, um, Mr. Norris has a, a good knowledge of, um, of, of of the sector, which is encouraging. But let's just let's not get too carried away. In that reality, what I would say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think I think longer term though, there's always a, there's an important point here, which is that. If you, you know, for pharmacy, somebody who clearly has taken a bit of time and trouble to think about it and, and to, to learn about it, then there's a there's a relationship to be built on there. Uh, and the one thing that I think we have been caught out with oft too often is you get a new pharmacy minister and there's no relationship to start with. So you then have to start effectively from, from base camp again, whereas you know, people, he's going to be around for a while in this job. But then if you get a good relationship with one, then I think it, it can be easy to transition to the next one or even to other ministers in the, in the shadow team. Um, and that's all got to be good. You know, that that's how these things often work. And yet you, Neil's absolutely right. It's very easy to say we'll do X, Y and Z when you're when you've got absolutely no chance for four and a half years of of implementing any of it. Um but occasionally, you know, that's a that's again, that's a, a set of sentences that it's, it's useful to start building on and start to play into that and start to, you know, feed information in about the sort of things that you would like. So encouraging start, I'd say. But when you, when you look at pharmacy ministers in the past, we've had, I suppose, you know, from pharmacy's point of view, we've had some good pharmacy ministers. We've had some not so good pharmacy ministers, you know, we, and, the, and the good ones. I mean, you look at Alistair Burt and and um, and, I, and I suppose Steve Bryan. You know, you we've had good relationships with them, the, the sector, but it hasn't really done the sector ultimately much good in having a good relationship with the pharmacy minister. Whether or not 
that, that's because it's a whole new debate about whether the farm. That's the whole, a good point, actually. The whole position of farm seems is redundant. Uh, yeah. Steve Brown's quite vocal about he doesn't think the cuts were handled well or so on. But yeah. you know, if anyone was going to have any say in government about the cuts, surely it was him. Yeah. Yeah, so he didn't really say it at the time, didn't he? I'm, I'm quite interested by what, what we think is a good pharmacy minister, because do we really well, know? You know, we only really see their, their, their kind of um, public appearances and their speeches and that. We don't know what they're like at managing a department or, or what their thought processes really are and who's in charge. Is it them? Is it the civil servants? There's such a, there's such a treadmill of pharmacy ministers. We have so mm. many, they just seem to be moved on really yes. quickly. Well, that, that's, that, that, that kind of raises the point. Uh, is the position of pharmacy minister redundant? I mean, I remember asking Sue Sharp years ago in an interview, and I, and I said to her, look, you know, uh, Earl Howe, I think, was the pharmacy minister, and I said, look, is the, clearly there's a perception that we're not getting anywhere. Yes, Earl Howe has a lot of lovely things to say, but what re- in reality, what influence does he really have on, on the Department of Health and the government? And she said, well, look, we need a good pharmacy minister. This was Sue Sharp at the time. She, we, need, we need a relationship with the pharmacy minister, so I don't agree that it's a redundant position. So that was her take. I, I, I still, all, the, all these years on, it's about six, six, seven years ago, all these years on, I still raise the point, you know, is it, a, a, are we focusing too much on the pharmacy minister? In reality, does it, does is that it just a, r- a rubber stamp kind of job? Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, is it I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, it's, it's obviously the junior minister role within the mm. team. It tends to be given often to, to kind of young up and coming people. It's probably one part of about 16 different elements of their brief anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very valid question, just how much influence they, they have. Oh. And are they any good or not? Has it done pharmacy any good or not? For the pharmacy ministers that we think have been quite effective, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. and you look, you look at Brian and you look at um, uh, Alistair Burke, two pretty, I think people would say they're very, very vocal supporters of pharmacy, positive individuals, but... What's yeah. been the result well, of their support? Well, I, I, like like opposition uh, shadows and um, the, those those gentlemen you mentioned there, um, they're a lot more positive about pharmacy after their pharmacy ministers and before <laughs> yeah. their pharmacy yes. ministers than when they are actually pharmacy ministers. But uh, we'll see. We'll we'll be keeping tabs on on Alex Norris Absolutely. and uh, and the shadow team of the job Jordan Ashworth. I think there's a an impressive team he's putting together there, but we're a long way out from an election. Mm. Let's just keep tabs on it for now. So who's had a bad week in pharmacy? Uh, I'll go first with this one. For me, it's been uh, another bad week for Public Health England. Not for anything it's done or hasn't done, but because that metallic scraping sound you can hear and the knives being sharpened. Last week we had Boris Johnson describing elements of the government's response to the COVID crisis as sluggish and like a recurring bad dream, and it was pretty clear who he had in mind. Public Health England certainly hasn't covered itself in glory during the crisis, especially over testing. I think its decision to abandon widespread tracking of the virus as it began to to spread is probably the the big mistake uh, that was made in the handling of this pandemic. Then we had the mixed messages over antibody testing, the debacle of the track and trace app, and it's a pretty long list. This could be a classic case of passing the buck and blame avoidance by the government before the inevitable public inquiry. So a case of getting your retaliation in first. But to me, these quangos or non-executive agencies that they're called, like Public Health England and NHS England, well, it, it boils down to accountability and control. And I'm not sure 
that ministers have the necessary control and there certainly seems to be a lack of accountability and we, we see this with NHS England and its attitude to pharmacy, community pharmacy, frankly. Now this is all a legacy of the Lamsley reforms, isn't it? And I actually agreed at the time uh, with the desire to take politics out of the day-to-day -day running of the health service. But as we've seen with COVID, I'm not sure it's working. So bad week for Public Health England. I think the guns are beginning to turn on them and there could be more bad weeks to come for them as well. Rob, who's had a bad week in pharmacy for you? Well, I'm going to follow that on a little bit, Richard, because I think it's been a bad week for people who write public health messages. I mean, we had stay at home, save lives, save the, protect the NHS, save lives, which everybody kind of got. Then we had stay alert, which nobody understood. And now we've got uh, go to the pub as quickly as you possibly can and enjoy yourselves, but don't drink too much. Oh, and keep socially social distance. And as we can see from the pictures over the weekend, uh, when you've had one or two, social distancing goes out the window. And uh, I'm not entirely sure what the message is anymore. Uh, open up the economy. And, you know, you've got one city in the country that's still on some kind of lockdown, wondering quite why. Uh, and and yet we've now got a kind of a weird uh, halfway house. I don't know. Um, it's nice that Neil's got his hair cut. Uh, it's always very good. Um, but was that down in the pub, Neil? By the way, did you get that done in the? Get that, it looks like you got that done in the pub. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, not a great week for public health messaging. I'm not entirely sure what the message is now. Well, the thing that made me laugh about that was the, the police, was it the police federation, the Met Police, one of the police forces actually coming out and actually concluding, quite logically, that after several pints of alcohol, it's quite difficult for people to socially distance. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which no was kidding. quite a good news story. I thought that was... <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So, yeah, confusing messages. Go to the pub, but don't go to school. Um, Arthur, who's had a bad week for you then? Uh, well, I've got a surprising one because he's been on such a row lately, but I think Donald Trump has had a bit of an off week. Um, <laughs> a bit of an off week? No, no, they, they just the optics of the US buying up, I think most of the, the world supply remdesivir is just, it just doesn't look great. I don't know if it's actually going to have such a negative impact on, on patients worldwide because um, manufacturers have been given a free license to produce their own supplies. But it just sort of, it's just a bad luck, isn't it? Sort of, this, one of the, is it the only drug that's actually been, like, fully licensed and approved? Yeah, I think yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and, they, and he's just said, mine. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if you're an American, I suppose. But yeah, so, so off week for Donald. A very off week for Donald. How typical Trumpy and all that was. Um, Neil, it was a bad week for you, then. Well, it's, this one really surprised me, actually. Um, I've got to say, I mean, because um, whenever we hear anything about Scotland over the last, like the last sort of four or five years, mm. maybe it's always been, it's tended to be good news, and, and so like, this really did catch my mind. Scotland's cross-party health and, and sport committee uh, published what I suppose you would describe as quite a damning report, really, of Scotland's system of supply and demand for medicines, um, and the report said that pharmacists were, quote, failing to exploit their skills, knowledge and position for the benefit of patients, which I was kind of aghast at that. I thought, well, really? It was kind of really very surprising to me. Uh, it concluded that, uh, that medicine supply does not have a focus on patients, is burdened by public sector bureaucracy, under-resourcing 
uh, and an almost complete absence of usable data. Now, I know that pharmacy is, you know, across the UK, arguably, has not been great at auditing and capturing data anyway. I think, it's, that's, it's, I think pharmacy as a sector is probably still on that learning, learning curve. Uh, but nevertheless, so, you know, there was a lot, quite a lot of stuff in that report that was, that was quite um, eye-opening. Uh, there was little effort to understand patients' experience of taking medicines. Um, you know, something that you would almost take for granted now for the pharmacy, over you know, the journey that it's been on over the last few years. You know, it's all about the patient experience. You know, it's, it's, it's finding out what patients want from their medicines, medicines optimization, that famous term that we've had. You know, this is all stuff that should be fairly straightforward, and, but it's not. It's yeah. based on this report. It's not. It doesn't seem. I'm to just going to say. I think that thing about not little effort to understand patient experience mm-hmm. of taking medicine. I think that was a comment about the system as a whole, not just pharmacists. And I think prescribers came in for yes. a lot of criticism, saying yeah. that they reach for the prescribing pad. And I would say that was more aimed at kind of yeah. GPs and prescribers. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it still. I mean. Uh, to me, it was just you know a real a real eye opener. I mean, it, it went on to say there needs to be a review of IT in the NHS and across the which I, I think there's been a, a call for better IT systems for since, yeah. since the year dot really. Uh, but you're right, um, Arthur. Yeah, I mean there, there was an indictment of, of you know prescribers who came in for, for criticism. Uh, the report said that they instinctively reached for the prescription pad without properly discussing the medicines with patients, uh, which again. A, 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 you know, not great and a huge surprise. So I'm not sure whether this is, as you say, whether it's whether it's the pharmacists' um, the fault lies with them, or whether it's the system, or whether it's the Scottish government. Uh, they need to look at themselves a bit. Whatever, whichever way you look at it, I think that it's a bit of an eye open because the Scottish government has been so supportive, mm-hmm. and and it's all you almost look at Scotland and you think. Community farms, yeah, they're leading the way almost yeah, in the UK. Yeah. It, it completely um, came from left field, didn't it? Yeah, the, the yeah, tone absolutely. of the report was, was incredibly yeah. negative, which is really surprising. It's very surprising. Yeah. It, is, it is slightly odd, I think, but um, I suppose it's a, if anything, it's a kind of a, a support for the direction of travel that, um, that Prescription for Excellence sort of represents. Um, and you know, basically the MSPs have said, we want more of that. Uh, and if anybody th- is still thinking that pharmacy is not about responsibility, I mean, what they're describing in, 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 the, in terms of being responsible for what happens with the medicines once patients have got them, then that is actually a description in a slightly different language of pharmaceutical care. Uh, so I think it, you know, it, it's, the words are quite harsh, but I think it, it's pushing... If anything, it's pushing that that contractual framework more firmly in that direction, because the the MPs are clearly saying we want more of that. You know, these gaps in the, these gaps in provision and, and don't make sense to us. Yeah, I think it is a peculiarity in Scotland because there is so much positive stuff coming from pharmacy mm-hmm. in Scotland that they haven't had the access to patient data that you know elsewhere in the UK they do. Um, I spoke to Matt Barker a little bit about the report last week, and he was quite confident that with Pharmacy First, they're moving towards that data capture. And he was sort of, yeah, he had a relatively positive outlook. Yeah, it is probably the, the IT infrastructure in Scotland and the data capture is perhaps weaker than in the other nations, possibly, uh, when you think of access to records and things yeah. like that. So maybe there, there's some parts of that report that held true but uh, yeah like Rob says it is a bit of a direction of travel thing 
Uh, I can't be honest. I, I find it quite difficult to, to take things completely seriously from a, a, a cross-party group of MSPs that's health and sport. And sport, yeah, that's what got worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yes. I don't mean to be you know rude, but mm. that seems a bit odd. So, uh, well, I think we'll be keeping an eye on that, in particular the response, mm. I think, perhaps of the, the Scottish Government and the, the various pharmacy mm. bodies in Scotland, just to see how they, they counter some of the points made in that report. <laughs> So, any other business? Uh, who's got something that they've noticed a little bit out of the ordinary this week? Uh, Rob, have you seen anything that's caught your eye? Well, I've not got, I've not got anything I've noticed, but the, the, the discussion we had earlier and uh, Arthur's reminding us that President Trump is still out there uh, saying and doing crazy things reminded me that for a while we've, we've, always, we've looked back fondly at an episode of The Simpsons from 20 years ago that suggested... Um, that uh, there would be a President Trump. And we've now seen that as being prescient in, in its own way. And I was just thinking in terms of President Trump's approach to Remdesivir, there's another thing that, that again, I thought was a kind of a spoof, a spoof puppet film that turns out now to be a documentary. So if you haven't seen it for a while, then um, Team, Amer Team America World Police, I think is well, well worth another look for its... Um, signature theme tune which i think um or it's it's most famous song in it which i don't think is broadcastable the title of it but it's kind of an at the attitude right now i might have to look it up look it out again great film i i, I love that film when it when it came out we're just talking about twitter and prophetic tweets and we could be talking about president kanye west oh yeah yeah in uh, in, 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 in what why yeah. what is right he said a bit out of touch but... <laughs> when he, he went on twitter and said i'm it was a bit of a little um, a morale boosting statement, which ended with "I'm running for president" or "I'm going to run for president," and what people were thinking was it tongue in cheek? But I, I, I don't think it was. I think he was actually deadly serious about running for president. So it could be. He's got a big enough ego. He's got a big he? enough ego. Yeah. yeah. Anything's possible in the states at the moment. I think Kim K in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> what have you seen then? Neil? I, I, I saw something that was um, really, really uh, brilliant for. For, um, for pharmacy, I suppose, and for, and for more specifically um, ethnic diversity within pharmacy, because uh, as we know that John Rankin, the celebrated portrait uh, photographer, has come up with this selection of pictures of healthcare professionals from across the NHS to, uh, just to celebrate the, the brilliant work they've done during COVID-19. Um, and one of those, and you had nurses and doctors and GPs, and, and you had a pharmacist in there, of course, and we had Andy Williams. Um, who's a marvellous uh, pharmacist who's won plenty of awards and, and, and well-deserved as well, um, who, of course, runs a pharmacy in Bristol. Um, we all know Eddie and uh, a lovely chap he is. And it was just great to see him. I, I, I was walking past a bus shelter uh, um, on, a, on a rainy afternoon, and there he was, looking back at me um, with, his, with his pharmacist <laughs> coat on. And I was kind of stood and people were probably wondering why I was just staring at him on the bus shelter. But it was nice to see um, Eddie, you know, not just Eddie's... Um, Achievements, but he's representative of pharmacy. He's uh, being uh, from an ethnic um, minority background as well. That's another positive. Um, so to have a pharmacist from 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 a, a, a black pharmacist representing the, the professions, well, that's that, that can only be good. And and I just thought it was uh, worth a shout for Abby. Yeah, he's a class yeah. act, isn't he? He is. He's a class act. I saw his poster at Waterloo Station. I also yes. took, took my camera to take a picture. And he's looking good in it. He does he? look good. He's a natural man. He is. He's a handsome chap, is that he? And uh, yeah, it, it's it's a great little. Um, it, it's a plus for pharmacy that he's on there. But 
it's great that pharmacy's included. It's great that he's included as well because yes. I think he, he, he's he's the best of pharmacists in many ways. So absolutely, yeah. Well, well, shout out to Addy. Shout out to Addy. I think that brings us to the end of another episode of the pod. Then, so thanks to to Rob, Neil, and Arthur. A reminder that the pod is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. Bye.